Welcome once again to DDA's Encouraging Abilities podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kelly, Communications Manager here at Developmental Disabilities Association. Uh, today we are talking about aging and dementia and Alzheimer's in people who have developmental disabilities. Uh, dementia and Alzheimer's can be hard on people with developmental disabilities in the community because they can be at higher risk of de developing the conditions. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a moment. Uh, advances in healthcare also mean that people with developmental disabilities are living longer, thus creating the need for understanding how caregivers can deal with the onset of conditions like dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, joining me today to talk about this is Karen Tyrell, who uh, recently co was contracted here to provide regular dementia care and uh, to frontline staff and management teams. So next week, uh, we will have been four workshops so far. So Karen is a certified professional consultant on aging and a certified dementia care provider with a passion for improving dementia care. She is the owner and operator of Dementia Solutions and offers education and support for families and caregivers when it comes to aging with these conditions. She is the author of a book called Cracking the Dementia Code, Creative Solutions to Cope with Changed Behaviors. Also a therapeutic coloring book for adults and is the co-creator of an app that offers solutions when dealing with those with dementia and Alzheimer's. All of which can be found on their website, dementiasolutions.ca. So Karen, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Evan. This is great. Uh, so, you've been in this industry since 1995. What got you into it? Well, at that age, I was just finishing high school, and I wasn't sure which direction to take, whether to work with children or adolescents. Or I wasn't quite sure. I did some volunteer work, and I found out it was definitely older adults. I really enjoyed my time volunteering in a long-term care home. So then ever since, I have been on a path, and I went to take a, a program in school that was in Toronto, um, Ontario, where it was gerontology-based, but it was therapeutic recreation. And that, that program actually had me do practicum twice a week and learning theory three days a week. So I was really able to get a sense of what the real world was like, and working in long-term care... I experienced many situations with individuals with dementia. And that's where my passion started right away, um, wanting to make a difference for these individuals in all stages. Now, can you define dementia versus Alzheimer's? Sure. Um, so let me just start by saying Alzheimer's disease is a disease. Dementia, a lot of people think is a disease on its own, but it's mm. not. So dementia, if you can picture your hand, and I'm going to make you make a fist, okay. and each finger would be a symptom. And when you close your fist, it creates a syndrome. So what dementia is, is a syndrome that is made up of, I'm going to say here, five common symptoms. Now, let me just give another example of a common cold. Mm -hmm. When we get a common cold, it's not a disease, but we get symptoms like runny nose, headache, sore throat, um, you know, coughing. Mm -hmm. But when we get all these symptoms, oh no, we got a cold, you know, like great, this is fun. Um, but those symptoms typically uh, fade away, but a cold is a syndrome. 
Hmm. So dementia is a syndrome, and the common symptoms that we do see, um, and, and, and I'm just going to share a few of them, is poor memory. Of course, a lot of people know this is very common when we see somebody with memory impairment. That is a symptom. Another symptom is poor thinking abilities. So difficulty making um, decisions, difficulty with figuring out how to get from your, their home to the, the grocery store, perhaps, where they used to be able to know how to do that, or difficulties thinking how to make a big meal. Um, so thinking impairment does show up. We also see judgment impairment. So some people making inappropriate decisions around safety, their safety, the safety of others, or decisions um, that are poor around saying things inappropriately in public. Um, so there's lots of examples, you know, people using a chair that has wheels to reach for something in their cupboard. Right. Um, so, you know, little things like that start to change, poor judgment. And then the other common symptom I want to share is communication difficulties. So sometimes we will see an individual having difficulties making a sentence, a proper sentence, or finding the right word for things. But what happens is not the normal aging. Normal aging would be, oh, what's the word? It starts with an A. You know, you put it with mm -hmm, your, mm -hmm. you know, your tacos. Oh, okay, it's avocado. You know, so um, it's, it's basically switching up a different word, uh, using a completely different word to, to explain what they're talking about. Or um, they're having difficulties comprehending what people are saying. Even though they're speaking the right language, the comprehension has, has now been compromised. So mm -hmm. that's another common symptom. And the last symptom I want to share is personality changes. When we see the person no longer behaving in similar ways or have similar interests anymore, or maybe let's say they were always so patient and understanding and happy to be around, now you visit with them and they're not very happy. They're complaining all the time or they're, you know, you know, why am I doing this? Why are you here? I don't want you here. Where they were never like that. So mm -hmm. these are just some examples. So when we see all these changes in a person and they're all happening a, a frequently and more on a consistent basis because you know, we all have our days, Evan, where, you know, we forget <laughs> things or we, you know, we uh, have our yes, moments. I yes. have my moments. But when it's happening to someone and the family start to realize, boy, this is happening a lot more and we're seeing it almost daily now, this is when we need to say, okay, let's go get this person checked because maybe they do have the syndrome of dementia. And maybe a clinician will say, yep, yeah, we have all the symptoms of dementia. But the next question really should be, what is causing dementia? What is causing this person to experience those symptoms? Because it could be because those same symptoms are within Alzheimer's disease. So right. is it Alzheimer's disease? But there's been cases where people have had all those symptoms and it's not a progressive type of incurable disease. It's actually something they can treat, which might be related to a vitamin B12 deficiency hmm. or even depression. Right. can show up those symptoms. But if we treat these conditions, the symptoms of dementia can go away. Even a thyroid condition has caused people to feel like they're developing what they call Alzheimer's. I've got Alzheimer's. Well, wait a minute. Let's go look into this a little bit more. So I highly encourage people to go and get 
this looked at by their family doctor or maybe even a referral to a specialist who can tell you what's really going on for you and your symptoms. And I, I might be getting a little bit ahead here, but I, we're talking about, you know, like certain symptoms that lead to a syndrome. That must be much more difficult to define for people with cognitive disabilities. Yeah, so some people themselves that starting to show these symptoms may not recognize it in themselves. It's usually the family or friends or neighbors that are the ones to point out, well, wait a minute, things aren't quite right here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and there is, you know, a side note, there is a condition that happens in people's brains that is common with dementia, and it's called are you ready for it? I am. Anazognosia. Says what? <laughs> <laughs> Anazognosia. Anazog- so Anazognosia. So if we want to spell it out, it's A-N-O-S-O-G-N-O-S-I-A. Okay, anosognosia. Gotcha. Yes, sognosia. So this really means no awareness of illness. Hmm. So there are people that also have dementia and anazognosia where they think they have nothing wrong with them. They can still drive perfectly. They still know where they're going. They have a perfect memory. But family friends will go, whoa, no, 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 you're, you're having troubles. But they will disagree. Some people call it denial, that the person doesn't think they have anything wrong with them mm-hmm. and they're denying it. But it really is a, a condition And 80% of people with dementia will also have anazognosia. So it can be a challenge for families to try to convince someone to go to their doctor when they have this. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Alzheimer's, on the other hand. So, yes, Alzheimer's disease is a, a disease that Dr. Alzheimer discovered yeah. well over 100 years ago now. And... When he did the autopsies on his patients who were living life with similar types of symptoms that were getting worse and worse over time and you know, similar changes to their, their function, their day-to-day, when he did that, uh, the autopsies on them, he discovered in the brain abnormal and, and excessive amyloid plaque. So plaque was mm-hmm. excessive in their, their brain as well as what they call what they call tangles, the, the neurofibrillary tangles inside the neurons. So these two things, the amyloid plaque and the neurofibrillary tangles, were what he discovered was abundant in the brains of the people he was supporting, and therefore it it, it you know eventually turned into what's known as Alzheimer's disease right now. Mm-hmm. And um, sadly. Um, you know, the the brain eventually shrinks because of the damage that's being done. The neurons are dying because they're no longer functioning and communicating. The amyloid plaque basically is surrounding the neurons and causing them not to be able to fire um, their messages to one another. And it's just so much garbage and sticky plaque that's just built up in the brain that is not allowing it to function the way it used to. But we do notice with Alzheimer's disease that it starts in the hippocampus of the brain. And this, in our brains, is where our memory and our learning takes place. Sadly, that's where Alzheimer's disease attacks first. 
and it really causes damage moving outward, almost like spreading like a little bit of a virus. Hmm. And this is how we know when people are in the earlier stages, middle stages, later stages. It tends to go slowly around the brain to eventually we're dealing with a person who no longer knows how to walk or talk, feed themselves, toilet themselves, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And um, it, it's really, really heartbreaking to watch a person go through that journey. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely is. And again, uh, you know, if we're talking about people with, with uh, cognitive disabilities, it, that might be another thing that's difficult to diagnose. Okay, so when you're talking with adults with a cognitive disability similar to maybe like a Down syndrome mm-hmm. condition, um, yeah, it can be very difficult to diagnose. Um, uh, you know, it, this is where the caregivers, the people that are frontline with them as their primary caregivers every day, would likely start to notice some changes. This is not normally their personality, and this is not mm-hmm. normally them. You know, they're they're difficult. They're having difficulty with their words and speaking, and they're and they're really forgetful. And I just told them a sentence five minutes ago, but they can't recall even what I just told them. So people will start to notice right. eventually, but may not right away. But because uh, usually with Alzheimer's disease, in the earlier stages, it could be between two to four years before people get help because they don't. See it maybe four years later. Yeah, it might. It's it, to those on the outside, it might not be as as obvious because it might be such a gradual yeah. turn. It is gradual, yes. So, but again, we, all we can do is rely on those frontline people to speak up and say something, and then from there, let's get that person diagnosed, and let's hope it is something that is treatable, like maybe a vitamin deficiency or something else that might be going on. But unfortunately, in the world of a person who has Down syndrome, the sad part is that these individuals, as, as we know, have an extra chromosome. Mm-hmm. And this is chromosome 21. Yeah. And the interesting thing here is that chromosome 21 is the chromosome that does have excessive plaque like it's responsible for producing the specific protein that is in excess for Alzheimer's disease like we see abundance of it so when a person only has two chromosomes there are you know they could have the chromosome uh, gene sorry sorry the chromosome has the gene that's responsible for the plaque so if we're carrying that gene um, we might have more of a chance or a risk of developing Alzheimer's. But when we have a third chromosome, it increases our risk. Do we know sort of what percent of a risk that might increase? Um, yes. Uh, unfortunately, um, people with Down syndrome will have, uh, well, actually, I don't know if I have that exact percentage. Um, I'd have to look through my notes again, but I, I know it is significantly higher Mm -hmm. um what we do know is that people who are in their 50s have a 30 percent chance of developing alzheimer's disease just the typically Uh, typical public you mean sorry um people who have down syndrome now what the alzheimer's society of canada study uh statistics show is that people over the age of 65, um, they have a a more increased 
risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. And I remember when I was working with the Alzheimer's Society, uh, a, a chapter in Ontario, I was doing some presentations where I had to say one in 13 Canadians over the age of 65 are developing dementia. And then a few years later, that number changed, and it was one in 11 Hmm. Canadians over the age of 65. Now, um, they don't use those numbers anymore, but they are saying currently half a million Canadians over the age of 65 are developing some form of dementia. But with uh, people with Down syndrome, they're saying 30% of these individuals in their 50s are developing Alzheimer's disease. And then the statistics are showing that 50% or more are affecting the people in their 60s who have Down syndrome. So the numbers are increasing faster and faster because the numbers go up every year after a person turns 60. That's um, that's that's very interesting. I mean, is it is it because we're recognizing it more, or is there actually a problem? We're aging, and we're aging longer and living longer. Right. So the interesting thing is that you know years ago, you know, forty was over the hill, <laughs> and now people are living, you know, over a hundred years old. Like we're 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 moving that um, life expectancy number. Uh, over the age of 80 now, and but people are living longer. Now, there has been um, some information that came out of the United States that said in 2020, the life expectancy uh, for people with Down syndrome was age 60. Mm-hmm. And that, compared to what it used to be in 1983, in 83, the life expectancy for somebody with Down syndrome was 35 years old. Wow. That says a lot about our health care, right? Yeah. So we're, we're living longer. People with Down syndrome are also living longer to age 60. And so, um, sadly, um, years ago, I remember learning in school back in the uh, mid 90s, um, there was almost like 99% of all people with Down syndrome would develop Alzheimer's disease. Now, I don't know if that number has changed. I think I remember reading it was lower now. However, um, because of that extra chromosome, these individuals are more at risk of having excessive amount of plaque in their brain. Yeah, that's a huge percentage of the population. What about, um, of, of the population with Down syndrome, I mean, like, what about drug therapies? Or is, is any of this advancing? Well, so... For many, many years, uh, actually when I was first going to school in the mid-90s, I learned about the very first um, drug that was approved for uh, supporting people with Alzheimer's disease, and it was called Aricept, also known as Dinepazil here in Canada. That's been around for a while, and that's the the very first uh, drug. What it does is basically it's trying to help add what's known as acetylcholine, in our brain, so add more of it because that acetylcholine is helping the brain neurons fire the message to the next neuron, and so helping because sometimes that gap is 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 between the two neurons is growing, and that neuron can't fire the message, but the acetylcholine can help. So the medication is helping people to fire messages better, 
And then there were two other medications from two other drug companies that basically are doing the same thing. So there were three possible drugs on the market. One of them was a patch if people couldn't do the oral medication. So it's been really frustrating over the years. They tried to have a vaccine. Uh, that Those studies had to be ended because of brain hemorrhaging when they went to human trials. Uh, there was so many attempts, but the last uh, few years, uh, a drug did try to come out that was helping to remove that amyloid plaque that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this drug had some controversy in the last few years because it came out saying it worked and then it didn't work and then, it, oh, no, 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 it really did work. And um, so the uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, in the United States approved it and said, okay, we're going to approve this drug now for use in the United States. It's not approved here in Canada, but mm-hmm. um, so there's still, so the jury's out for a lot of people on this, this type of drug. Um, very, very expensive, um, mm-hmm. and it's not a cure, but they're saying that in the studies and the trials that it did reduce some of that amyloid plaque, basically delaying the, the, the process of Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Now, you've done some um, uh, workshops here. Can you take me through, like when you're coming to, to, to DDA to talk to our caregivers, and we employ many because we have 19 group homes and we look after lots of people. Um, take me through that process. What, do you, what is it you're trying to impart to our caregivers to deal with these kind of situations? Sure. I've had fun so far. It's been great. We've had full classrooms and lots of great participation. Uh, So basically, I am going through a reminder review of what is dementia, a review about what is delirium, because a lot of people can mix up because there's a difference between delirium and dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, And delirium, for those that are not familiar, it is a sudden onset, like suddenly, similar symptoms to dementia. Uh, where there's, wow, they're not themselves, their personality certainly has changed, they're having troubles remembering, they're having troubles with their thinking and their poor judgment, and, you know, they're trying to stand up when they were told, sit in the chair because you just had a hip replacement, and, you know, whatever it might be, they're doing things that are just off, you know, not who they normally are. And so when we see sudden changes, I want all frontline staff to report that because a sudden change can mean delirium and delirium is treatable. But we need to recognize delirium and we need to get help because delirium is often due to pain, dehydration, maybe a urinary tract infection or any kind of infection. And these need help. So like Mm -hmm. hydration is needed for dehydration, Um, antibiotics for any kind of infection. Yep. Pain management for pain. So there's there's a variety of others, but just trying to help the frontline staff recognize delirium is treatable. If you see changes in the person you're caring for, talk to a nurse or a manager. Um, I will do the overview of Alzheimer's disease for, for the groups and also what are the stages and what common things do we see in each stage so they can rec- recognize the changes in their own clients and residents. Um, And I do share some of the statistics I shared with you about Down syndrome and the impact with dementia that it has on an individual and and the, um, uh, you know, also that, which I didn't mention to you, is that with Alzheimer's disease, it's usually a very slow and long journey, which could last 
20 years or more for some people. But sadly, the statistics show that approximately individuals with with, um, diagnosed with um, Down syndrome, their length of time with this journey is between 9 to 11 years only. So it can come really fast. And so having them aware of the different changes, different stages, and I give them ways to cope with those changes. And I also give them some strategies on what we do when a person's behavior starts to really change because of their poor memory, their poor thinking, their poor judgment, their behaviors will change. So I give them strategies on how to cope with that. And then reminding them about, hey, you know, as, as they're changing, we still need to remember this is a person, this is an individual who has um, their own values and history and stories and, um, you know, abilities and disabilities. So we still need to work with them using person-centered care. So reminding them about what person-centered care looks like and communication tips on how we can talk to somebody who has now difficulties with comprehension. Um, So teaching them the communication tips and just reminding them of some self-care reminders for them because these frontline workers are so important and a lot of them don't realize that. So I really want everybody who's frontline to know how valuable they are in the work that they do and I really think that they deserve the recognition and the validation for what they're doing. So Keep giving them yeah. some self-care reminders is uh, is always important. A- absolutely, these are, these people are like family, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's it's they they are not just employees to us; they're vital to to what we do. Um, so, from your point of view, when when do people need to start seeking support? Uh, the individual themselves or the frontline workers? I guess the, front, the caregivers, yeah, caregivers, frontline workers, even family members. When do you need to start looking out, looking for support? My suggestion is as soon as possible. As soon as you realize something's going on here that looks like dementia, if we can get connected to support, whether it be learning uh, some education theories or, you know, just because knowledge is power so building up your power by getting the information so you can understand what you're dealing with and how you can best cope through it so I think right away find the support people um, who can be in your corner when you have questions or when you have concerns Um, and this could also be in the form of a group support where other family members other caregivers come together and it's about an hour, an hour and a half type of situation where you can learn from each other, hear their stories, learn ways that they're coping and it can spark ideas for you. Um, It may not be necessarily the exact scenario you're going through, but when people are together and they're listening to one another who are in somewhat of a similar scenario, they don't feel alone. And that's a big thing. That's huge. I do a lot of caregiver support groups. Mm-hmm. And that's one message I hear. Gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I don't feel alone anymore. And that's huge. And that must be, I mean, even, you know, for typically developed people who are who are showing these signs, I mean, family members and caregivers must experience a lot of pushback, you know, like, I'm fine, leave me alone kind of thing. How do you, how do you try and coax friend in, in a nice way that, hey, there's something going on here and we need to check this out? Well, what I like to try, everyone will be different, but I do like to try to say, 
it looks like, you know, you're at an age where some people could develop low B12. And then maybe let's go get your vitamin levels checked. So approaching it in a different way to get to the doctor in the form of let's go get things looked at just in case um, it might be related to your thyroid, but not to mention the word dementia, never mention the word Alzheimer's disease in the beginning, Mm -hmm. just to get them into the doctor, but then to tell those family members to reach out to the family doctor in advance talk to their secretary, whatever it might be, email if you can, to say, I'm concerned about their cognitive abilities, there's some changes, can you look into this? Um, So that's one way to try to get them looked at by a professional without raising their, you know, their back up and and, and trying to dig in their heels, I'm not going to get my brain checked, my brain is fine. Mm -hmm using another excuse to get to the doctor or uh, one other family recently said oh it's your regular yearly appointment wink wink kind of thing it wasn't quite a year but um you know then they weren't going yearly but it's basically saying time to go or uh, some families have contacted the family doctors say please call my mom on tuesday i'll be there all day and just say it's time for your appointment so it doesn't come from me because sometimes when the families are trying to suggest mom or dad, whoever, to go to their doctor, they think that they're suspicious and they're up to something. Mm-hmm. So they don't listen to their family member. But when it comes through by another, an outsider, like a, the doctor's office, they may go to their doctor. So there's the different strategies we try to use in order to encourage a person to seek more help. Now here in here in Canada or and you know or, or British Columbia is there is there enough support for families for people with dementia and Alzheimer's? Well, in my opinion, um, no. <laughs> uh, and is is this you know perfect around the world? No. no. Um, you know this is a population that um, it, 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 it's. Uh, we can do better. We can do better. Um, there's been challenges where even the family doctor has told the family caregiver, get out of my office. I'm not talking to you. You're not my patient. Whereas the family is just trying to get that doctor to understand and see a problem. Um, but sometimes only a 20-minute visit doesn't prove the person has cognitive challenges Mm -hmm. and therefore it takes longer to get a diagnosis so in my opinion we need family doctors to understand the value of the family caregivers and not to think that they're trying to set them up or you know gaslighting or anything Mm -hmm. like that they're actually noticing something so I'd love to see that stop and then when they do get a diagnosis um, there is a program which I'm so thrilled to see and I remember being a part of the pilot project in Ontario called First Link with the Alzheimer's Societies across Canada and BC also has that First Link program so some doctors are on board with this and are really referring right away the families who they've noticed received a diagnosis into this First Link program where they could then have um, a caller call every few months to check in on the family from the Alzheimer's Society. How are things going? What help do you need now with? Um, unfortunately, that program's not perfect either um, because mm. sometimes the family caregiver can't speak on the phone because the person with dementia is in the room when they call and they don't want the Alzheimer's Society's phone number to show up on the call display because the person is 
is experiencing Anna's agnosia and therefore would be very offended if they're getting calls from the Alzheimer's Society or if the person is speaking to other people on the phone about them. Uh, so I wish there was more undercover type of support being mm. offered to families. Mm, interesting. Um, and so that's a little bit of what I do is I'm available for families whenever they need to call me. And um, so yesterday I get a text message Sunday afternoon. I, I need to talk. You know, I, I, I text it back. Give me five minutes, uh, you know, and I'll give you a call. Um, so I like to be there for when families need it. And I wish there was a service like that for all of BC um, where families can call 24 hours a day because dementia is definitely not nine to five Monday to Friday. Definitely not. So families no. do need that outside our support of what do I do now? They're trying to wander. What do I do now? They're not taking their meds. What do I do now? She's screaming at me. She thinks she has to go to work at 10 p.m. at night um, and trying to leave the house. So these types of challenges, um, families could use more support, a go-to place. Yeah. Other yeah. than me. <laughs> yeah. Now, because I have a friend of mine is launching a very similar business to what you do, and it, so and and I and I hadn't even heard of this 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 kind of business that that you and she do, and it's it's almost like it's a growth industry. It's almost like we're kind of playing catch up. Does it feel like that for you? Oh gosh, absolutely. And we've called um, this this whole scenario about um, Alzheimer's disease or, or dementia as a rising tide. People have used the analogy tsunami, but no, we knew about it. It wasn't a shock to us that we're right. now swimming with, with so many people affected by Alzheimer's disease or another type of dementia. So uh, we are up to our necks right now, and we need more homes for people to go to because families are stressed out. They can't do this alone. No. And, uh, people with advanced dementia have more challenges that one person can handle. They need home support. They need 24-hour monitoring, and the caregiver can't stay there 24 hours a day seven days a week without help or without getting out, without um, survival tips for themselves. And the costs are also quite high. And the frontline workers are, are not in demand, like they're, they're sorry, highly in demand, and they're not there to take over all of the shifts that are needed and required for mm -hmm. people, whether through the health authority or through private organizations. There is a shortage of frontline workers who are trained and compassionate uh, using the right person-centered techniques in dementia care. So that's another problem. Um, so where there's so many challenges um, that, uh, you know, and then caregiver support groups. We need more of these options for people um, that can be done, you know, over the computer now. Mm -hmm. Because people mm -hmm. often can't leave their, their homes. Um, so having now that COVID has introduced more and more people using uh, computers like Zoom or Teams, uh, this is great to help these families who are isolated. Mm -hmm. So much more could be done, and I'm happy to brainstorm and, <laughs> and share all of this if anyone who will listen, um, but there's, there's so much more I can talk about. Now let's uh, shift gears a bit, uh, cracking the dementia code. Why did you write this book? Well, um, when I was working in Ontario, long-term care home, plus I was also working as an executive director um, for an Alzheimer's society, you know, I really got to see, you know, uh, what things are like in the community for families as well as what it's like in long-term care. And the biggest stressor is when people start to develop the changes in their behaviors. 
what do I do? How do I say this? What do I say? Why can't I tell them their mom is dead? Why, you know, and, you know, so questions um, that a lot of families didn't know how to handle the behaviors. When I moved to BC in 2009, I was hopeful that BC would have been more advanced than Ontario was. I really wanted to see things improve. Sadly, it wasn't the case. It was actually mm. the opposite. Oh, no. um, actually, when I realized, I looked into the situation and it appeared to me that BC was actually 15 years behind Ontario. And I was devastated and I felt as though there was no real support. Um, there was no dementia care networks here, which I was a part of in Ontario, where these networks were people, businesses, families, um, nonprofits, doctors, you know, everyone coming together to really talk about dementia in their communities. But when I moved to BC, there was none of that. Uh, I volunteered for the Alzheimer's Society when I arrived um, and I saw the gap. And I also saw when I was working in a long-term care home, because I started back in long-term care here in BC, that the staff were doing um, approaches that were pretty much back from when I was starting in the field in 1995. Wow. And, the, and it was just really upsetting to me. And I thought, I can't sit and wait for the government to make changes. And boy, when I look back, and it's been over 14 years now, I am so happy I took action. And I created a workshop called Cracking the Dementia Code. And I had in mind the people that I saw making the inappropriate approaches in mind. What would I do to want to teach them in an easy to understand way? Because English was not always their first language. So I made this workshop and I put it on for families and I put it on and I offered it to frontline workers. Over the years, it's been keeping me busy uh, providing this workshop in person. And then I decided that after receiving many phone calls, I hear you've got a great uh, workshop. I'd like to attend, but I'm in Alberta or I'd like to attend, but I can't. I'm in the interior. And so after word of mouth growing, I decided to write the book. So basically it was taking all the material from the workshop, but adding in more, adding mm -hmm. in so many more extra chapters because it's only a three hour workshop that I do. Um, so I wanted to provide that extra. And so I, it just fell into my lap, an opportunity to write. And here I am, I have this published book, which I am getting feedback is so heartwarming and uplifting that this book has really helped a lot of families and the frontline caregivers. So. I'm just going to continue to go with the flow and, and really do my best to give the information. And I'm just so excited that I have this opportunity with the Developmental Disabilities Association here in BC to educate their staff and inspire them to continue to give great work. And just a side note, that book is available on Amazon as well as your website. Uh, it was at DementiaSolutions.ca. Uh, but that has also, of course, led to here in the digital age as, as, as an app that you've developed with a couple of people. Can you tell me about that? Oh, yes. So um, I connected with somebody on LinkedIn who was really passionate about dementia care as well. And she reached out to me and I assisted her with her book on um, ways to care for uh, a husband with dementia. She's a social worker, so she really focused in on caring for husbands. And the, between the two of us, um, we decided, you know, it would be really helpful to have an app that was developed for people to have quick solutions at their fingertips. So her name is Angela Gentile, and she's in um, um, Manitoba, and her son does apps. So he helped us to do the actual app, but Angela and I co-created all the content for this app of ways that, and so it's called Dementia Caregiver Solutions app. 
and it has lots of solutions on how to handle common day-to-day issues that can arise for people that are living with dementia symptoms. Now, is that available on just on the app, any old the app store and yes, Google it's Play? Yes, only on the. Uh, sorry, it's not an. It's only an. Uh, sorry, not an Android. It's only an um, Apple. An I. ISO or iOS, iOS, so we were only able to make the one type of app. Um, I would love to see it uh, on others um, because I have an Android, um, but uh, I think over time things may, may develop and change. Um, but uh, yeah, moving things, even my workshops all online now, having to go to that online route to um, support people because we're now in a digital world. but still trying to make sure we support the people who aren't doing the digital world. And yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of people, yeah. especially in the in the, uh, the aging community. There's, there's people that just aren't as technical. Um, so before we wrap things up, how do people get in touch with you? Well, they can go to my website, DementiaSolutions.ca. There's a contact us form that they can type in or call our phone number. That's on the uh, our one eight 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 number. Um, I'm always uh, happy to support families. We always give a free 20-minute consultation for families that are struggling, uh, whether they're dealing with you know, Alzheimer's disease or any other type of dementia. Uh, so we start there, and then we encourage them to come to our free support groups that we do twice a month. Oh, um, and if people, if people can't come to the support groups on Zoom because they don't do Zoom, they can call in, and I'll just hold the phone up, and we've got them on speakerphone so they can still listen. We've done that before. Is that mostly on Zoom, or you do do in-person stuff as well? I do in-person, um, but uh, currently uh, all the support groups that I was doing prior to COVID all got shut down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now I'm only doing um, a su- uh, support group in Coquitlam uh, at the Dogwood Pavilion, but I also do support groups within long-term care homes. So they bring me in, and monthly I do support groups for the families there. Well, that sounds good. I think we've covered a lot of bases here, Karen. Anything else to add today? Well, you know, if I can just quickly say that I worry about caregivers. I've always worried about them, and that's why I wanted to create the book, you know, about how to handle the behaviors, which is the part that can cause burnout. And I don't Mm. want caregivers to burn out. And so if I can quickly share three things quickly, if people are listening, if you are a caregiver, Please, 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 from my experience as a dementia consultant over these years, respite, time off is so important and people don't realize that until they take the time off. So please, respite, number one. Number two, talk things out. If you're stressed, go to a support group, talk to a counselor, talk to a dementia consultant, whoever it might be that can help you with the Alzheimer's Society. Um, You've got to get it out, talk things out, because you're going to learn things, Mm -hmm. and you're going to hear things differently. And number three is never stop learning. So learn about the condition you're dealing with. Learn about ways to cope. Um, For me, those are the top three um, strategies for caregivers to survive. It's really great having someone like you in in our corner to to provide these kind of services. So thank you very, very much from BDA. Um, You have been listening to DDA's Encouraging Abilities podcast. Our guest today has been Karen Tyrell, an expert and author on providing care for loved ones facing dementia and Alzheimer's, uh, conditions that we know, of course, can affect people with developmental disabilities at a higher rate. You can find more information on her company and her books at DementiaSolutions.ca. Karen, thanks again for joining me today. Well, thank you once again for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.